fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tell every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back. We made it to 2021. Cheers to a new year. Mm-hmm. Same podcast, new year. Glad you're still alive. I am thankful that we were able to kind of have some creative outlet in 2020. That being forced to stay at home kind of sparked a little bit of creativity for us. Mm-hmm. And we may, we brought you a scary themed podcast in the scariest year to have ever existed. But the scary stuff we were talking about was a little bit of a maybe escape from the scary reality. Real life horror. Yeah, which we do talk about that, but got to escape some of the scary reality that we were facing and look at some stories, some crime, some scary tales, some snacks. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're here to do it all again. Yep. And uh, today, well, we got a new setup today. We moved the table over. I just realized that I'm right in front of Chase's piano. So I told Hannah, any any ominous thing, I can do this. I like it. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I need a zinger board. Do it. Like, what would our Wait. zingers be? You could hit one and it'd be like, Lacey's being inappropriate. Inappropriate. We do. <laughs> we do need one of those for you. We need to censor you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Snack break. Too much singing. <laughs> I like all of these. All good ideas for 2021. Yeah, but we're back. And today... We thought since it's the month of January and it's cold outside. It's winter. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a very um, popular Disney film that came out in 2013. And it was called Frozen. Frozen. Which stories like that we've done like Snow White and Peter Pan. I feel like I had heard of those stories before seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. Like... I was familiar with, oh, there's a book of fairy tales, and this is one that's in them. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the f- story of Frozen ever being in one of those books. Right, me either. This is the like first time I've heard not, of it. It's not grim. It's mm-hmm. not a grim story. Um, but it is It is originated by someone whose name I do recognize. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard of Hans Christian Andersen before, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I never associated those two things together. Me either. Who knew? So, did you like Frozen? I did. I loved Frozen. Have you seen Frozen too? I did. I couldn't. I just. It's not. The, as, Disney can't leave always, well enough alone. Yeah. You know. It's the second one. I've is never, never as good. I've never known of a second one being good. I'm gonna say that. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't there's, think there's a second one that I. There's a second Peter Pan. There's a second Pocahontas, mm-hmm. and none of them were as good as the first. The Frozen. I didn't 
I got lost, so I can only imagine. Why is there a lizard in the movie? I don't. It's in a frozen tundra situation. There's no amphibians living there. We have to have the animals. Right. And they didn't like the he just, just the didn't, reindeer. He didn't fit for me, unless there's some type of Icelandic gecko that I'm unaware of. <laughs> I hope there is. Which, okay, speaking of weird things, uh, gave Lacey a New Year's present. She got a book mm-hmm. of fairy tales and folk tales from Ireland because she mm-hmm. loves Ireland. And there are some weird things in there. Like they have a mm-hmm. whole section on animal folklore. Mm-hmm. So there probably is some weird story out there about an Icelandic gecko, gecko lizard. Yeah. But Who knows? now we have a whole plethora of Irish stories. Yeah. So we might we might mix it up, give mm-hmm. you a little bit of some... Uh, fairy tales or folk tales from ireland mm-hmm. you maybe one day we'll do it from ireland i know that's the dream isn't it mm-hmm. do you want to give us a quick uh s- summary of the disney frozen i will try my best let me say that hannah and i our podcast is not scripted so when we're telling you these things we're just going it's off just the cuff raw genuine so if we forget a little brain mm-hmm. a couple of notes but yeah if we're not scripted at all no so frozen um i'm sure most of the people have seen it by now but it is set in Arendelle, which is kind of like in Scandinavia, Norway. You got Norway, Sweden, yep. Denmark, all those places up there. And it is set, in, did I say Arendelle? Mm-hmm. Um, which and, is fictional. Right. The movie is based around Anna and Elsa. Elsa has these snow powers where she controls snow or ice. She can like shoot ice out of her hands. If I had a power, I would want to... Um, not do that i would be it's kind of like the last airbender i'd probably be fire if you had to choose one of the elements mm-hmm. earth wind fire water mm-hmm. but, i don't know the last thing is pretty cool yeah there's no real use to it though ice melt yeah. anyways one day they're playing anna and elsa and she hits elsa hits anna in the head with one of her snowball things this knocks anna out and it kind of leaves a scar and that scar is a white piece of hair going through Anna's red hair. There's a girl I work with, shout out to Neely. She has this, she was telling me it's like some kind of genetic condition where she has brown hair and then she just has one streak of white hair. And all the, when little kids ask her about it, she tells them she's Elsa. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that's actually kind of cool. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's part of what I inspired that characteristic trait mm-hmm. of her. So... Anna is knocked out and they, they, her parents need to save her. So they take the whole family up to the mountains where there are these magical trolls. They're kind of like the grandmother Willow of Pocahontas, very wise. And in order for Anna to be saved, she has to be wiped of her memory of Elsa. Or, well, not Elsa, but Elsa's powers. So they go back home. Anna's better now, but she doesn't remember that Elsa has these snowball powers. And, and then Elsa has to try to hide them. Mm-hmm. So, so she, she kind of locks herself away and neglects um anna even in the hardest of times because their parents die on a shipwreck and uh she only comes back out and the world or the town gets to see her when it's time for her coronation because she is now to become queen so they have this coronation event um that is where anna meets hans uh, remember the author of the story that uh, inspired this his name was hans christian anderson and he and Anna immediately fall in love. That's where that famous line comes from, where Elsa's like, Anna, you can't uh, marry someone you just met, which is every other Disney movie. Literally. Mm-hmm. And 
when Anna keeps press, pressing the issue, Elsa gets mad, and again, her powers, she can't control them when she's angry, and she unleashes her powers, and the whole town sees now that Elsa has magical powers. And they're all fearful of that. Mm-hmm. It's not seen as a good thing. Right. And so Elsa scared the whole town, sees her as a monster, and she runs up into the mountains where she sings. I'm not going to sing it. Please do. I can. I can um, do a. What's her name? How did John uh, Travolta say her name? Uh, she, I mean, uh, <laughs> her name's Adina Mazel. <laughs> uh, you got the voice of Adina Mazel. I have a voice of. Yeah. No, sure don't. Sure don't. Anyways, Elsa builds this snow castle which it's beautiful i would love to live there and she hides away and anna goes on a trek to save her while she is out there in the wilderness trying to get to the snow castle she met she meets sven the reindeer and his handler Kristoff, mm-hmm. and olaf of course this the snowman they get to the castle elsa's like nah i'm fine up here in my my palace of ice and gets mad again and she shoots Anna again with her ice powers. Anna or Anna? Anna. Dang it. Sorry. <laughs> the southern version. Um, she shoots Anna and hits her in the heart this time, which is no good. No good. So in order to save Anna, she needs true an act of true love, as we see in most Disney movies, to which, melt the snow in her heart. And which in most Disney movies comes in the form of, of true love's kiss, which is normally from a prince. Mm-hmm. So they have to save Anna, they think at this time, by taking her back to Arendelle where Hans will kiss her, true love's kiss, boom, there you go. When they get there, they find that Hans has captured, imprisoned Elsa and uh, put these little things on her hands so she can't use her powers. And he locks Anna in a room where he divulges that he's not in love with her, he's just after the kingdom. So you realize he's the villain. Mm-hmm, correct. So he locks her in the room. She's freezing to death, but Olaf is there, and he brings her by the fire and warms her up. She gets better enough. She goes outside to look for Elsa again. Elsa has escaped at this point, and Hans is hunting her down to kill her. And right before he delivers the killing blow with his sword, Anna, who is freezing, steps in she is now a frozen statue of herself and his sword hits the statue of frozen ice instead of elsa and this was an act of true love anna's heart um the frozen part melts and everybody lives happily ever after anna punches hans in the face summer comes back to arendelle arendelle and we, we live happily ever after she builds a little elsa mate with her powers puts a little snow um, cloud over Olaf's head so he can live in the summer. I love that. Mm-hmm. I do. I will say I do like the Frozen story. I do like that it kind of subverts some of the typical Disney fairy tale plot lines mm-hmm. that, you know, they kind of set it up to where you think, you know, the evil sister is like the evil queen character. Mm-hmm. And that Hans and is going to save, save the day. The prince is going to save the day, but then he ends up being the bad guy. So I, I do like and the that. Sisters and the sister saves the day. So I do like that. We were talking about how there is a funny connection because the author of Snow Queen, which inspired this movie, his name was Hans Christian Andersen. And in the Frozen movie, we have Hans, the villain, Kristoff, which is close to Christian, and Anna, which is kind of close to Anderson. So those three names. Which 
Do you th- I, I feel like that has to have been intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people see connections between stories and they think, oh no, that's a stretch. But it's if it was one character, maybe, uh-huh. but if it's three characters and the fact that this was, I think originally supposed to be a like bio story of Hans Christian Andersen's life. Mm -hmm. So Disney had actually been trying to make the Frozen movie for several years. Yeah, which, like we were talking about, we'd never really heard the story before the movie Uh like we had with other stories, but apparently this was like long time attempt. In the making. So they actually tried to make the movie starting in the 1930s, and Walt Disney sent the famous animator Mark Davis to Scandinavia to look for inspiration. And this is where he stumbled upon the tales of Hans Christian Andersen and the Snow Queen. And by 1939, Walt had given the title of Disney's next film, The Snow Queen, and its own production number. And the reason you've never seen that or heard of that is because for whatever reason, it didn't, it never came to existence. But it was supposed to be, like you said, a bio on Hans Christian Andersen's life with little bits of animation filtered throughout to show the story of the Snow Queen. But we never saw it. And there are a lot of different movie versions of the Snow Queen. Like mm-hmm. there's a, so the original story was written in 1845. There's a cartoon from 1957. There's a cartoon from 2012. Uh, Hallmark did like a live action film of the Snow Queen in 2002. But I'd never heard of any of those. No, me either. Until like doing research for this, that Frozen was like the only thing I'd ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. So... So tell, do you want to know about the Snow Queen? I do. I want to see uh, the similarities. So you've got a Snow Queen. Mm-hmm. You've got, hence the name, you've got a frozen heart. You've got a friendly reindeer sidekick. Mm-hmm. You have a story of love that unfreezes the heart, and you have trolls. <laughs> and trolls. And trolls. So you've got... <laughs> <laughs> but they're not bad. Oh, that's true. Like most of, most... <laughs> She plays a high note for the good. Um, yeah. So the story of the Snow Queen, a summary, is starts off, uh, once upon a time, a troll had a mirror, which I think is a funny opening. And this, which also makes me think of Snow White. Mm-hmm. We have a mirror again. All these themes. So when you looked into this mirror, it supposedly would reflect the worst part of that person. And the mirror is kind of personified that it would enjoy seeing people's reactions when Mm. it would show you the worst part of you. So just like the mirror in Snow White was a talking mirror, Mm -hmm. it would tell you who's the fairest. This one kind of does the opposite. It kind of tells you what's the worst thing about you. Or the mirror in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Also a theme. It shows you what you most desire. desire. Mm -hmm. So if you looked in this mirror, it would tell you the worst part about you. Um, the The trolls took delight in seeing the bad things about people they would um, show this mirror to anyone and everyone that they encountered one day uh, the mirror was so I guess excited or just happy about the reaction that it got out of someone after telling them the horrible things about them that it shook and just shattered all the good and all the pieces get scattered scattered around the world scattered around the world so that's kind of an interesting or a weird opening, but I think doesn't, um, sometimes stories will start with that. They start with like the weird supernatural folklore-ish aspect, and then they go into like the character aspect. Mm -hmm. So hang on to that part of the story. 
Um, if you, the, the, this mirror that got stretched across the world, and this is where it's going to connect to some of our main characters. If someone got a piece of this mirror stuck in them, like, I don't know if they stepped on the, yeah, I don't know if they, the wind blew and it stuck you or you stepped on it or I don't know, whatever. Then they would always see everything the way that the mirror reflected it. So they so would see the worst. They would see the worst in everything and everyone, which would not be pleasant. Mm-mm. So in this village, there's a distant village that supposedly had part of this mirror scattered to it. Mm-hmm. There are two young main characters named Kai and Gerda. Some versions say they're siblings. Some versions say they were non-related neighbors. Regardless, they are super close. So for the sake of comparing it to Frozen, we'll say that they are siblings. So they were super close, best of friends. They would do everything together. Well, one day when this mirror shattered, um, a piece of the mirror got stuck into one of the character's eyes. So a piece of the mirror got stuck in Kai's eye and then another got stuck in his heart. So Ooh, double whammy. Yeah. So he now sees, it changes the way he sees the world. He sees the world in a negative way. His heart kind of becomes hardened or sick. It needs to be cured. And this distressed him. It distressed everyone around him. When winter came, he ran away, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume. Kind of like Elsa runs away? Yeah, kind of like Elsa runs away, that he sees the bad in everything, probably also in himself. So he runs away, hides from everyone. Uh, and the way he did this, he tied his sled to the Snow Queen's carriage and was just, just rode behind her carriage and just went missing. Okay. Some people think he drowned. Some people think he ran away. So some people think he's alive. Some people thought he was dead. But Gerda's like, nah, he's alive. Gerda, yeah. Gerda was, you know, the the optimistic. He's still alive. He's out there. And she wants to go find him. So much like Anna goes to find mm-hmm. her sibling. On her way, because she's not going to have an easy journey. It's not going to be, she's not going to turn the corner and find him. On the way, she gets captured by robbers. So she gets kidnapped. She gets kidnapped, but um, she ends up becoming friends with some of them. So <laughs> makes sense. I I don't know if she's just like Stockholm syndrome, like Beauty I, and the Beast. I, li- I thought I literally thought that when I was reading this. I was like, it is kind of like that Stockholm syndrome of, mm-hmm. you know, if your captor is a little bit nice to you, you just are friends with them now. So she does. She becomes friends with them. One of the robbers is a female, and so Gerda and the female thief kind of become friends she wants to continue to look for her brother so she i guess tells the female thief this and the and the female is like yes i will help you so she gives her she sets her free mm-hmm. she gives her a reindeer named bay <laughs> sure I, always, I just think that's funny uh gives her a reindeer so now you kind of have on a the the kind of on a reindeer companion connection here mm-hmm they can uh she continues on the journey with the reindeer uh keeps stopping at different villages keeps looking for her brother never gives up so she, it's her kind of her youthful innocence her optimism her you know childlike wonder her heart for her brother that kind of gives her the power that she needs to accomplish much like anna she's a super positive yeah she is person um never kind of let gets down on her task 
when she eventually arrives at the Snow Queen's castle, um, it's guard. It's obviously all snow, all ice, and it's guarded by snowflakes, which <laughs> yes, kind of like the cards in Alice in Wonderland. So when Gerda gets to the Snow Queen's castle, she finds her brother inside. The castle is guarded by snowflakes, and he has to complete this task in order for him to be released. And he has to do it quickly because he is freezing to death. Mm-hmm. And he has to, his task is he has to arrange pieces of ice to spell. That's what it looks like. Which means, that is what it looks like, which means eternity. Let me do my Google Translate because I always do this. Ready, set. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. Ready, set. Avian. Means eternity. Means eternity. That sounds right. But he's struggling to do it. You know, he's freezing to death. His mind isn't all all there. Right. And he has to do this quickly. So when the sister comes and finds him, when Gerda comes and finds him, finds him, she is helping him. She cries because of the situation that they're in. And when she cries, her tears get on him and her heart for him, her love, her tears melt his frozen heart his frozen body Mm -hmm. somehow also magically removes those pieces of mirror that were in his heart and his eyes Mm -hmm. science science and then they escape because she helped him with the puzzle and and there you go they all live happily ever after exactly like frozen yep i was reading some stories where it's um obviously the snow queen is portrayed as the villain in the story but she's not really a villain she's winter personified and she freezes things. That's what Winter does. Yeah, she definitely plays like a, I don't know. She's The Snow Queen here is definitely a secondary character. She doesn't like seem as evil as some of the other Snow Queens we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like the Snow Queen in um, The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe right. is much more active in mm-hmm. her evilness. But, and there's no here with it being siblings, which again, some versions say it's siblings, some versions say it's like really close neighbors, but I still think they're young enough to where it's not necessarily, it's not a story of like a prince and a princess and true love's kiss. Yeah. Which does make it connect more to, to Frozen. So I think, I mean, you can see the connection. Yeah, definitely. This, a lot of this was based on, so this is 19th century written in eight, the original version written in 1845 a lot of hans christian anderson's fairy tales were kind of a combination of christianity and folklore specifically mm-hmm. danish norse mythology but kind of interwoven some of that pagan mythology was interwoven with like christian morals that you would teach children yeah, I feel Which like that's common back then. Is their stories yeah. always have a part of a religion. Yeah, especially if it's for kids, because the the main purpose of these stories for children was not just to entertain them, but was also to teach them something, some kind of lesson or moral. And in this one, it leans more towards that, you know, caring for one another, the familial love, being mm-hmm. kind and courageous and helping others, not viewing yourself in a negative light. So, but we kind of were going to look at some of the folklore behind it. Hans Christian Andersen grew up in Denmark in the 19th century. So that's where he would have obviously gotten some of those more Danish Norse folktales. Norse mythology is probably the third most popular. You've got Greek, Roman, and then Norse is kind of the third most popular. And it's especially become more popular today because of 
all the Marvel movies that have retold stories of Thor and Loki Mm -hmm. and Odin. But someone that you may not have heard of from those movies, I don't know if if this character is in the movies, but uh, the thought is that the Snow Queen is modeled after the Norse goddess uh, Skadi, S-K-A-D-I. That's how you say that? I think so. I was going to say Skyoi. Well, I don't think it's an O. I think because they have different letters than us. Oh, right. So it looks, it. I don't know, it kind of looks like an O with a mm-hmm. um, accent over it. Oh, okay. But I think it's pronounced as a, as a D. Oh. So it almost kind of sounds like our word for like skate. I don't know, but Scotty. I believe you. What's um, she doing? Scotty was the Norse goddess of the winter mountains, skiing, ice, everything, cold. She was known as a giant, so typically in mythology, there's always a race of giants. So she's big. She's powerful. She There's lots of war also within mythology, um, groups fighting against each other for power. So the groups of the race of giants was in conflict with the gods of Norse mythology, and all these gods lived in a place called Asgard. They, I guess, had killed her father, so she's trying to avenge the death of her father, mm-hmm. who was also a giant. So the giants and the gods are in a battle, and which, and this is something else you see a lot in stories. They, in an attempt to avoid the war, they tried to do a marriage alliance. Mm-hmm. So um, as she's going to attack the gods, they don't want them to attack, probably because they knew they were going to lose to a. A bunch of giants. A bunch of giants. So in attempts to appease her, they say, hey, we'll do a peace offering. We'll let you marry someone from Asgard. Again, trying to do a marriage political alliance. Mm -hmm. And she agrees, but the way she has to choose, they said they're going to give her a choice, but the way she can choose is she gets to choose by looking at the feet of her suitors. Their feet only. Their feet only. Picture that game, that like old game show where you had to guess your, like you didn't get to see your suitors, like you had mm-hmm. three options and they would say something or you wouldn't get to actually see mm-hmm. who they were and you had to just guess based off of I felt like you wouldn't want the most facts. manicured because then you might have a mama's boy, but you wouldn't want like, um, you know, maggots growing out of your yeah. their toes. So she, based on their feet and their feet alone, she ends up choosing Njord who was, I guess, she was not happy with him. She wasn't. Because um, she's from she the liked snow. His, she liked his feet, but she didn't mm-hmm. like him because he was the god of the sea. Mm-hmm. So he lives in the sea, she lives in the mountains. And it didn't work out. It's not going to work out based on their geography. So kind of her whole vibe inspired Elsa, but not really her story. Some others think that the Snow Queen was inspired by Hel or Hela, which is the Norse goddess of the underworld. I don't... Mm. <laughs> what? I don't really see that. How I know I don't either because I also she, think Elsa was inspired by the devil. Well, and I think we associate the devil and like God of the underworld with more fire and brimstone and things mm-hmm. like that. But in a lot of cultures, they associate the underworld with like cold. Think of like cold dead bodies, ice. Like mm. Pluto is named after the god of the underworld in Roman mythology, and it's the coldest planet. So it's not even a planet now. And now it's not even a planet. So I I wonder if that's part of it, that they thought 
but that's the only thing I can think mm-hmm. because the God, you know, hell was the goddess of the underworld, which, you know, the goddess of sickness, death, old age, and Anna wasn't, no. or Elsa, Elsa wasn't any of that. So I just wonder if they went with the, the cold theme because she doesn't really have a lot to do with death. Mm-hmm. She's not out there killing people. But Hela was the daughter of the trickster god Loki. So again, you probably have heard of Loki and Thor and Odin. Maybe you haven't heard of Hel or Hela and uh, Skadi. She was the, like I said, the goddess of the underworld uh, or the dark, the world of darkness. It was called Niflheim. 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 One of the sections of Niflheim, it was kind of divided into these different regions, was called Nastrond, which was the shore of corpses. It sounds lovely. They left that out of they did frozen, which again, shore makes me think of like a beach, which mm-hmm. doesn't really make me think of on an Elsa. She had a castle that was filled with the venom of serpents. So not ice. So not ice. It was filled with serpents, murderers, adulterers, perjurers that suffered torment. It had a dragon that sucked the blood from their bodies. So not like Frozen. No. More, I do th- I do think, I think um, this would make a good, an interesting story. Like mm-hmm. I think they could turn this into an interesting Disney-esque. Mm-hmm. Disney hit us up. Like a female goddess of the underworld story. Yeah. But no, I, I don't see that. I see more of the ice goddess. Mm-hmm. Scotty. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, there are other... Do you want to talk about some of a couple of these other things that yeah. were... Some potential inspiration, not not the classic folklore, but yeah. So the what I found were some more things that reminded me of Elsa, even though they don't say that Hans Christian Andersen got his inspiration from there. And but, but this, most stories are like a, a little bit of everything, like right, a little bit of things. So combined. he could have, and I I think you'll see what I mean. He also we could have included this in last week's episode or not last week our last episode on Christmas because in Russian folklore there is a woman named Snugorucha Ruchka aka Snow Girl aka Snow Maiden aka Snowy um, it comes from the word sneg which means snow in Russia Hannah's looking up that you know I love that Google. Um, translate I'm right gonna, now. To I'm going to go mom. with Snegoruchka. Okay, Snegoruchka. Okay, Snegoruchka. And she is an essential part of Russian New Year celebrations. And according to legend, she is the daughter daughter of Father Frost and Mother Spring. So she would come around this time of year. Mm-hmm. Around Christmas. However, another Russian fairy tale tells the story of an old man and a woman who had always regretted that they didn't have children. And in the winter, they made a girl out of snow who happened to be Snegarucha. <laughs> I did not say that right. Close. Um, the snow maiden came alive, and they she became the only the daughter that they always wanted but never had. However, when summer came along, she didn't have Elsa to make her a little snow cloud, and she melted, and she died. Which I was going to say, this this little Russian character, Snegruchka, reminds me of um, Olaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sorry, she didn't die. She just became very sad. And one day, Snegarucha went into the woods <laughs> with a group of village girls to pick some flowers, you know, just casual little picnic. And it began to get dark, and the girls made a fire, and... As young girls do, they thought it'd be fun to jump over the flames. And 
problem is Snigarucha, she's made of ice and she jumped over the the fire and um, she burned and melted to death. What is interesting about this, in some parts of Russia, people still follow this ancient tradition where they will make this figure out of straw and they'll put it in the river and, um, or uh, sorry, they'll light this straw figure on fire and then put it in the river to um, dispel the fire. And uh, the idea is that you're um, kind of killing winter and, you, and starting summer. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, I do. I love that. Mm-hmm. Just, you just see little burning wooden dolls uh-huh. floating down the river. Yep. It, it's this custom symbolizes the transition from winter to spring. So let's do that. Okay. I don't have a river, but. A little snig, snigarucha. Mm-hmm. We can do it in the sink. Okay. I like that in the bathtub. So Snigarucha is, I'm sorry, you're going to keep laughing every time. That's know, just what her name is in my head. Uh, she's now portrayed as this really beautiful, um, fair, white hair, bright blue eyes, beautiful woman that little girls like to dress up like her around this time of year. Which how many kids did you see dress up as Anna and Elsa You're right. from uh, for Halloween this she, year? She definitely has Elsa vibes if you look her up. So I feel like they didn't say this was inspiration, but I feel like it could have been. It. Today, she is believed to travel with Father Frost and she helps him deliver presents. Oh, mm-hmm. Which does remind us of our uh, Christmas, episode. Christmas episode. We missed that one, but that's okay. Well, there, that's are a lot, there are a lot of there are a lot of connections there. And and also just for fun, just because we like fun things around here, I had some interesting facts about the making of Frozen. Would you oh, like to know them? Yes. So Disney always does a bunch of research. They have to, and to which res- I appreciate that. Yeah, I do. That's one thing I love about Walt Disney World is even if you're not into cartoons and all that kind of stuff, it is so immaculately done. Yeah, everything about it, the details. So well, they look at the history, they look at the geography, mm-hmm. they look at the all the details that you wouldn't know from just like the common eye. Right. They Disney sent the animators to Wyoming so they could literally study and research the snow and how when you walk on the snow, there's like a top lighter layer and then your foot kind of sinks and hits the compacted snow. And which, how- which I like. I like that it, originally they sent somebody to uh, Scandinavia. Yeah, and they're like, and, nah, and they're like, got a budget cut. You're going, going to Wyoming. <laughs> We're going to send you to Wyoming right. instead of Scandinavia. It snows that there, pissed. too. <laughs> um, then the lighting and art team, they went to a hotel in Quebec, which let's add this to our list. It's an ice hotel. Oh, heck yeah. And um, they went there to deserve, to observe how the light reflects off the walls in this snow castle and stuff. And the production team, here we go. The production team, the Lucky Ducks, they got to go to Norway there and kind of look around. There we go. But that's, I if thought all that was that, interesting. Between Quebec in between Canada, Norway, and Wyoming, if you're on the Wyoming team, you're like, like but also it. Wyoming looks beautiful, and I want to go. Oh, but still, yeah. yeah, but still, I mean, if I had a li- the the choice of those three, I'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. I would rather go to Norway. Right. We'll put all three of those on the list: Ice Hotel in Canada, Norway, just you know, yep, for everything, mm-hmm. and then Wyoming, and Wyoming in the winter. We got a creepy story about uh, um russian oh, government and then the russian government's involved and we're kind of scared that they're going to come find us please don't come kill us we're just two little girls from alabama and we're just doing a dang podcast so don't come kill us it's you can find all this information online allegedly reportedly let's snack. eat a snack <laughs> let's eat a snack see you in a second
gets a freaking snack. <laughs> so we, we are always looking for good snacks. And so. uh, this week we kind of tried to stay with the theme of Frozen. Frozen. So, so look, looking for a snack. I got this at the Piggly Wiggly, which we've talked about before. And you probably don't have a Piggly Wiggly if near you. If you're in Alabama, you got a Piggly Wiggly. If not, it, it's still a popular enough brand that you could probably find this. See, anywhere. I didn't know if it's Mayfield. It's Mayfield Ice Cream. And I don't know if, is it a Southern brand? I don't know. I mean. Oh, yeah. It says the Southern yeah, way. But still, I think you could you'd, probably find I it. I think you'd be able to find this most places. If not, can't you order everything off Amazon these sure. days? Hashtag sponsors. Um, so we got Mayfield. Mayfield's Snow Cream Ice Cream. Snow cream. snow and stuff. You get it? It's honestly, here, here's my here's my fear. Okay. I'm going to tell you before I take it in this. I'm afraid that this is just, just vanilla, vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely and is. they've called it snow cream uh-huh. as a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. They sure did. So 100%. this doesn't taste like what I picture snow to taste like We'd with a little money. bit of sugar, I'm mm-hmm. going to be upset. All right. Cheers. So. Cheers. And oh, she's oh. a little frozen, which is on brand. I'll wait Fun for you. Too. Okay. Ready, set, go. Oh, it's not vanilla. Mm-mm. That's good. It's vanilla-like, but it is creamier. But it's it's a little more milky. Mm. It's very light. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, it's not super it's lighter heavy. than vanilla. Yeah, it's light. Yeah, it is. It's like you just went out and got some snow and you got some vanilla extract and put a little in and mixed it up. And and maybe put a little milk in there. Just Mm -hmm. like a little. I'm just going to have this sit. You're just just going to be in the middle of the table and eating it the rest of the time. I do like that. Ingredients. It just says snow Mm -hmm. and cream. Also, I just brought the whole carton in here. I didn't get this bowls. Yeah. Who needs bowls? Nobody. That's. um, Um, It has. Oh, it has. Can I tell you something? What it has mm -hmm. in it that I think is the, the flavor hint I'm getting? Buttermilk. Oh, oh, we do love. I think that's the well, good butter. But norm, but normally you think buttermilk is like heavier than milk. Like, mm-hmm. But it's this is very light. This is very refreshing. I have patients that'll ask me for buttermilk instead of milk. I'm like, yep, we are in the south. Anyway, that's good. I May, give it a Mayfield snow cream seven you, out of ten. Seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. I second that. We tried to find Hostess snowballs for this snack break. Nowhere. Nowhere. We went to like three or four different places. So this is what we got. But I like that. Mm-hmm. Are and you it's ready? Still, it's still on brand with our Frozen movie, mm-hmm. Di- the Disney Snow Queen. And it's still on brand with our true crime because it takes place in the snow. In, in Russia. Snow, in Russia. And a bunch of conspiracies that I'm scared to get into, but we'll do it. I so love a good here conspiracy we go. theory. So let's do it. Roll tab. the piano off <laughs> i was gonna start it with a <laughs> jace came in here and was like no more of that <laughs> i'm scared I, are you scared <laughs> a little bit but also it's okay uh, it's okay it has it had to be done we get we get uncomfortable when we do some when we talk about some conspiracy theories on here but i'm also fascinated by it you're definitely gonna be so fascinated terrified i know the like overall gist of this story but mm-hmm. i don't know the details the details is what and gets the details you. is i think is going to be what 
is the freakiest part. It is. So today we are going to be talking about the Dyatlov Pass incident. And just like all our stories that happen in other countries, there's going to be a lot of things that we can't pronounce, but we're going to do our best and we apologize. We should have gotten my David, my husband, to come be on this episode because he speaks Russian. Mm -hmm. And so he could have just... We could have just made him sit here and just uh, pronounce every single one of yep. these names because there are a lot of people involved. There, there are <laughs> yes. a lot of people involved. Are you going to attempt to say all their names? Um, I'm going to attempt. Yes, that would be the correct word. Um, okay. So there's a lot of unsolved mysteries, right? We got oh, yeah. Amelia Arnhart. Where where did she go? I, I actually read an article recently where they think they found her, but we need to give an update on that later. Also, Arnhart or Earhart? Or whatever her name is. <laughs> Earhart. <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> I'm from Alabama, so my mind just went straight race car. <laughs> oh, I love that. Lord. Um, who shot JFK? A lot of conspiracies there. Mm-hmm. I used to live in Dallas. I went down the rabbit hole a little bit when you I did? lived there. Yeah. Jack the Ripper. Who was he? Don't know. The Bermuda Triangle. Where'd all those planes go? Don't know that. Well, the Dyatlov Pass incident, it is up there. Um, nobody, nobody knows the the truth behind it, but we're going to, we're going to dive into it. It takes place in Russia. And the reason we chose this story to kind of go along with the theme, Russia, very cold. This story happens in the cold, frozen wilderness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mountains, like skiing, hiking. Right. Mountain. So that, that's how we, um, kind of tied these two stories together. So it is known as one of the most puzzling mysteries of our modern modern era. Which what's interesting is I had I like all those that you listed earlier are conspiracies or like mysteries that I'd heard of. But mm-hmm. this is this is one I don't know if it's just because it's Russian and there aren't as many ties to And they're trying to still cover it up. America. <laughs> but yeah. And maybe it maybe it isn't because I don't think there are any ties to America. Well, so. you'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, great, great. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. So this incident covers the mysterious death of nine ski hikers in the Ural Mountains of Russia on February 2nd, 1959. What we do know about the incident comes from the group's journals and photos. All of the nine hikers were really meticulous about keeping these journals, which you will see some of the entries are um, creepy and bizarre and just add to the story. So all this starts in January of 1959 with Igor Dyatlov, which is where we get the name, the Dyatlov incident. He was the leader of this group. He was a 23-year-old radio engineering student from the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is now known as the Ural Federal University. Dyatlov, along with the rest of the group, he was an elite skier and hiker, and he assembled the group of the nine fellow students to accompany him on a 16-day expedition that would cover 190 miles across the North Ural Mountains of Otorten and another mountain that was called Kolat Saiki, I don't know, a Russian word. 16 days is a long time. I, right? In the wilder, and it, it's freezing cold outside. Yeah. That I wouldn't survive 30 minutes out there. Our, our husbands go on um, like hiking or camping trips every summer, mm-hmm. and... I just picture like I like think of the stories that they tell from being out for like four days, four days. or five days, yeah. like and, less and not, than a week. 
but I'm trying to think like six, I don't think they would survive 16 days. No, they wouldn't. And every time they're like, yeah, Hey, you can go with us. No, nah. no, thank you. We'll, we'll go to we'll one pass. of our scary tales locations. Right. The eight men and two women who composed this group, they were all grade two hikers. So this is a certification type thing. And they all had this ski tour experience. So at this time in Russia, ski touring was really popular. It's something a lot of people did where they go, um, you know, get their ski shoes out and go exploring or whatever. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. What, el- what else are you going to do in northern Russia where it's freezing outside? But obvi- And so obviously they weren't like new to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, grade two, no. I imagine. Right. So... You know Correct. They're doing. expert skiers. And at the time, if they were to complete this expedition that they were planning, they would receive a grade three, which is the highest certification possible. So they were going to be experts at this ski expedition touring thing. In the early morning of January 25th, 1959, the group arrived by a train at the town of Ivedale. And then they took a truck to another town called Vizhai. And this is the last inhabited settlement before their trek. Um, it's the last town where there were people before so it, they would just up. be the yeah. uh-huh, wilderness. And you're right. They, they, got, they bought bread and all their supplies at this town. On January 20, 27th, they began their trek. And the next day, a member of the group, whose name was Yuri Yudin, he, he dodged a bullet train with this one he complained of feeling unwell and he returned um, back to the town so he left the group he didn't continue on with the the expedition which you will see is suspicious just uh is that is that is it going to be suspicious it's not like it's not really suspicious it's just one of those things where like wow the universe yeah he got sick and mm -hmm. the remaining nine continued and we'll go over the nine people now I will tell you all of their names are really difficult to say and really long. So I think from here on out, I'll call them by their last name. But for right now, I'll give you their first and last name. So Igor Dyatlov, who we already talked, he's 23. He's the leader of the group. And he's also dating another member of the group, Zenadia Kolmogrova. And she was 20 years old. So this is a young, a fairly young group mm-hmm. of people. They're all really young. There is College a, age, yeah. A Yuri Dorinchenko, who's 21. He was previously in a relationship with Zenadia Kolmogorova, so we got like a little love triangle okay. going there. A little awkward. Ludmila Dubanina, who's twenty, and she on she was an experienced skier, like we said, and one on her on one of her previous expeditions, she had actually been shot by someone cleaning their gun. Sweet. And survived, and she's still out there doing the thing. So good for her. Yuri Krivonchenko was twenty three. He was known for being the funny guy of the group. He played the mandolin and he actually brought the mandolin on the trip and they would kind of listen to him at night play while they sat around the fire oh alexander kolovatov was 24 and he was the only person who didn't go to the university with them he's also the oldest or right one one of the older ones of the group and we'll kind of keep in mind that he um Kind of, they what they found out after is he joined the group at the last minute, and he didn't go to the university with other people, and it was kind of just strange that he went on the trip. But we'll go over that second later. Uh, we already talked about Zenadia Kolmogorova that's dating Igor Dyatlov, and used to date one of the other ones. Right, she's twenty two. We have Rustam Slobodin, who's twenty three, and Nikolai Thubo Tibo Tibo Briganoli. 
that sounds Italian, so that's probably wrong. He was 23, and he was actually born in a concentration camp for political prisoners. And he was really well known to be a caregiver to the other hikers. And he promised his parents that this would be his last trip before well, he like settled down and started doing things. And unfortunately, well, it is his lie. last trip. <laughs> I was about to say, well, he didn't lie. Uh, and then lastly, Simone Simeon Zola Tarov. And he was, he's the oldest. He's 38. Yeah, I was about to say, that's a pretty big age gap. Right. Also, so, you, you kind of have to call them by their last names because half of them were named the, Yuri. Yeah. That's kind of like, what was that other story we were talking about where all of them had the, um, in Vladimir? Yeah, they were all named Vlad. Vlad, yeah. yeah. Same thing here. On July, or sorry, excuse me. On January 31st, the group arrived at a wooded valley where they kind of put all of their supplies, stored all their supplies and equipment they into, intended to use on their way back. So I think that's pretty common in ski, in ski trips. When you start off, you kind of hide your things in like a cave or a raised platform where when you come back, you can Because you don't want to carry all of it the mm-hmm. whole time. The next day, February 1st, 1959, they began to move through the pass that would come to be called the Dyatlov Pass. Which also the fact that they stocked food for their trip back mm-hmm. means they were planning on coming back. Oh yeah, absolutely. On the first day, the group only traveled 2.5 miles. And from what we recovered from expedition members, photos and diaries, etc., investigators were able to determine that the Russian hikers hoped to make camp that night on the opposite side of the pass. Oh, they didn't. I was about to say that. They didn't make it. 2.5 miles doesn't sound like they went very far. Mm -hmm. However, during the day, there were really bad snowstorms, which no surprise. Um, And this made the group not go by their original plan to sleep on the other side of the pass. And they actually deviated to the west. And they ended up on the top of a mountain called (laughs) Kolatskyal. Sure. Does that sound good enough to you? I like it. In the language of the indigenous people that lived in this area, the word Kalatskyal means dead mountain. Yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to live there. So I don't want to sleep there's there. There's lots of little things like that throughout the story that you're like, mm. Hold on, I'm about to play it. Yep. Um, but also, I wonder, do you think they knew that when they were camping there? They're like, oh, yeah, let's I go think, stay on the mountain of the dead. I think so. And, and we'll talk about that later. But people, um, the people in that last village they talked, they had mm-hmm. been around, they knew the folklore behind that area and they had discussions with the group. And they probably so. like warned them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rather than making their way down the mountain to a forested area, they chose to make the camp on the mountain slope. And this was only 10 miles from their final destination at Mount Otorton. Now, Mount Otorton doesn't mean dead mountain. It means don't go there in the Motsi language, the, the tribes around that area. I'm going to start telling our husbands when you're, they're looking at campsites. I'm like, okay, can you do a little research on what the folklore or like the, mm-hmm. the what does this name mean? Mm-hmm. Because you probably if don't If it says to, don't go there, then. Or if it says dead mountain. Mm-hmm. Or a combo dead, of dead both. Valley, don't dead valley, do dead it. Dead valley, don't camp here. Let's mm-hmm. just avoid that. So th- that's one of the questions. These are all experienced hikers. Why did they decide to camp on a slope of a mountain? Any Everyone knows that I would even think that I would know. You know, it's probably not a great idea to, yeah. to make camp on the slope. Temperatures that night were extremely cold. They were negative 13 to negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I've never Mm-mm. been that. It's 60 degrees outside here. And when I step outside, I'm like, it's freezing. I need a jacket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The group shared one large tent, and they were known to have had dinner around 6 to 7 that night. Dyatlov had arranged with Yuri Yudin, remember he's the man that got sick and went back home, that he would send a telegram by at least February 12th once the group had returned to Viz, that town that mm-hmm. they stopped in that I can't pronounce. So it wasn't that big of a deal when the telegram didn't come on February 12th because the nature of long hikes, you know, you're going to be off yeah. by a couple of days. I feel like there's always something bound to go wrong or like mm-hmm. they got tired and slept an extra night. Right. However, by February 20th, with no response, Urine believed it was time to call the authorities. And also, all the other hikers, their family members were, were like, something's yeah. up. They would be home by now. Eight days is mm-hmm. longer than yeah. normal. So the head of their university assembled a rescue team, and it was composed of students and teachers, and they went to look for the missing hikers. After what they found, the Soviet army had to get involved. That's yep. That's, that's where we're where where we're at. God, the story just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I know. I just got chills too. On February twenty sixth, nineteen fifty nine, the rescuers from the university found the Dyatlov group's tent. Um, the tent had been torn apart, but it had been torn apart from the inside out. Not not like an animal, but so like people animal. were clawing their way to get out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Within the tent were the group's belongings, including all of their shoes. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I, I mean, I know, I know I'm not an experienced hiker, but it's cold. I, would I not sleep with my shoes on? Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, like, I'm sleeping with everything on. Yeah. You'll see a lot of things about this story don't make sense. Okay. Outside of the tent, they found nine sets of footprints made by people who were only wearing socks, a single shoe, or were barefoot. So they had obviously gotten up in haste and, yeah. and ripped the tent apart and ran out. And the way that the footprints looked and indicated that the hikers didn't run away from the campsite, but walked like calmly and uh, methodically outside. So what, what's going on? I'm yeah, not sure. Those two things don't match. Found outside of the tent was a pair of skis in the snow, an ice pick, Dyatlov's jacket, and Dyatlov's flashlight, all of which were working. The the, um, the skis aren't broken. The flashlight had batteries. The flashlight turned on. So why did he leave it behind? And his jacket. Right. Like I get if you like forget a flashlight, mm-hmm. but your jacket. The rescuers followed the footprints, some of which led down toward the edge of these nearby woods. That was about uh, 0.93 miles northeast of the tent. So not far. Mm-hmm. I mean, a mile. At the edge of the forest, under a large cedar tree, the rescuers found the remains of a small fire, as well as the shoeless bodies of Krivonchenko and Doronchenko, who were wearing only their underwear. Mm. So, yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> um, so they were surrounded by these cedar trees, like we were saying. The branches of the tree were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that the skiers had climbed up to look for something or perhaps to see the camp or perhaps to run away from something. Yeah, like, I guess if an animal... Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, what logical explanations. If an animal is chasing them, I don't know, I might... Sc- sc- scurry up a tree. Scurry up a tree, yeah. Forensic tests later confirmed that traces of skin were found embedded in the bark, indicating that the pair had frantically attempted to climb the tree, snapping off branches until their hands were a mass of pulpy flesh. 
Don't say pulpy flesh. I'm sorry. Ew. Get it on a t-shirt, pulpy flesh. Ew. Also, I'm trying to think with the, again, I'm trying to think of what, what kind of logical explanations for them to just be there in their underwear. Isn't there some kind of theory of if you... We're going to get there. Get cold mm-hmm. and your frostbite, uh-huh. the body heat. Okay. That's right. the, that's the only place my mind could go that right. like logically animal, like frostbite, body heat. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get there. That is one of the theories. Obviously did autopsies on these bodies. Doran Shanko's autopsy. Which let me just say, this is why you do this part. Because mm-hmm. you like to look at the autopsies. I sure do. So uh, we got most of this information, mostly all of it from diatlovepass.com. I believe is what it's the called. The whole website for it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this person has just gone, it's so detailed. And what we're covering today is just like the surface. You can go down so many rabbit holes with all of this. But they have all of the autopsy pictures that you can view. <laughs> um, and they're terrifying. So I'm if sure. you want to check that out afterwards, you can go ahead. But, um, I don't know about so, that. Dornchenko, they found him with his hair burned on the right side of his head. His ears, nose, and lips were all covered with blood. He had gray foam coming out of his mouth, and this is typically an indication of pulmonary edema or swelling. They believe that he had this pulmonary edema from blunt force trauma to the chest. There was bruising all over his body. His fingers and toes were severely frostbitten, which I can see. Oh, yeah. The interesting thing about him, have you ever heard of liver mortis? No. So when you die, all of your blood pulls to the lowest area. Yeah. So let's say you died laying on your back, you would have all of your blood. Like toward your spine. Correct. And you could see it on the outside. It looks like bruising. Well, he had... um, Liver mortis located all over his back and neck and torso and extremities. But this was not consistent with the position of his body, how they found his body, because he was found face down. So all the blood should have pulled in the front of his body? Correct, meaning he died and then somehow had to be moved to lay on his stomach. So how did that happen? Doesn't make sense. Doran Shinko had an amount of urine in his body, and the amount... The volume of it was smaller than what is would be expected in the case of death by hypothermia, which means the body was still making efforts to fight the freezing cold at the time of his death. And the hypothermic death cases have significantly more urine in the bladder than what was found with him. So they're not thinking he so died from hypothermia. Okay, so basically that kind of rules out hypothermia. Mm-hmm. The foamy gray liquid we were talking about, it was found on his right cheek started these speculations that before death someone or something was pressing on his chest cavity and this forceful method um, was known for being a common interrogation tactic of the nkvd or stalin's secret police and special forces again i'm terrified i literally have chills all over my body this, look at that look. oh <laughs> oh goodness that's scary um this could also be a a result from a nasty fall from the tree because we talked about they, they were climb. up in the tree and uh, all of this was ignored and in their final papers that their cause of death was his cause of death was read as hypothermia so. which i i mean i i get it if you're going to do a lazy job mm-hmm. you see somebody with some frostbite and you think hypothermia that's what i would have thought and, and you know just that's your gut reaction of people hiking they died mm-hmm. 
they they had their clothes off, they had frostbite hypothermia. Yeah, it's definitely the easiest answer. So Krivenchenko, who was found with him, he had bruises all over his forehead. He had diffuse bleeding to the temporal and occipital region of his head. There was damage to his temporalis muscle. The tip of his nose was missing without blood. So they kind of, that that does point to animals eating the tip because of his Because if it's without blood, it means he wasn't alive. Correct. Okay. Skin from his right hand was found in his mouth, meaning he, they think this is because he was biting his hand to try and stay conscious. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why my mind went to like if he was starving to death, like if he was like eating <laughs> part of his own hand. Could know. be, could be. His left leg was burnt, and investigators were able to uh, surmise that their clothes had been both Krimenchenko and Dorinchenko. Their clothes had been removed by the other survivors when they were the other hikers while they were still alive. Because we'll get to them in a second. Okay, so these two people are the people who supposedly died first, I guess. I uh, yeah, they never they never found out in what sequence they died. Uh, but uh, yeah, I assume the um, the people we're going to talk to somehow I, it makes no sense. Somehow got their clothes. So between the cedar tree and the camp, which the is res- only like a mile apart, mm-hmm, the rescuers found three more bodies on February seventh, and those were the bodies of Dyatlov twenty seventh. Huh? What did I say? Seventh. Good. <laughs> Uh, Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, and Slobodin. And they were lying several hundred meters from one another, like almost to like an exact thing. Like one body, yeah, they were spaced out very evenly, several hundred meters apart from one another. And their bodies were positioned in a way that made it seem like they were trying to get back to the camp and then died while trying to get back to the camp. But died like in a sequence. Sequence of, yeah, again, Makes no sense. Dyatlov's autopsy, he was actually found holding a birch branch in his hands, and his other arm was frozen in the position of him shielding his face. And again, you can look these autopsy pictures up online, and, and that is what you'll find. He was found in a jacket that Yuri Yudin, remember the guy that, um, or Yurin, Yuri, <laughs> he was found in a jacket that Yuri, the guy that left because he got sick, yeah. uh-huh, um, that he had left for Dorinchenko. So Yuri had left the jacket for Dorinchenko. Because he wasn't but, going on the trip, so he said, here, take my jacket. Mm-hmm, but Dyatlov is wearing the jacket, not Dorinchenko. Okay. Um, meaning that Dyatlov had taken the jacket off of Dorinchenko after he died, the, the one of the people under the cedar tree. Under the tree, okay. Dyatlov had bra- abrasions all over his body. He had bruises to the metacarpal pharyngeal joints. That's what we like to call and lay terms we like to call those the knuckles which are the type of injury caused when someone with a closed fist hits something yeah if you're i'm picturing like yeah your knuckles something. are bruised punch punching something mm-hmm. no internal injuries but this is kind of gets you in your heart he was found with a photo of colma grova in his pocket oh because they were dating so should get you in your heart get you in okay the- but also why do you take a photo of the person you're dating if they're on the trip with you? Because you know, you gotta keep them close to your know. heart. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Also, she died too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all dead. Yeah. Colma Grover, her autopsy. She was found with blood around her body, but it could not be determined if it was hers or from someone else in the group. She was actually found wearing a good amount of clothing, but still had no shoes on. She also had bruises on her knuckles. 
and she was found with a large bruise in the lumbar region of her right side of her torso, and the bruise looked like it was left from a baton. Remember yeah. the, the, the Russian police we were talking about earlier would carry such batons? So it wasn't like it wasn't the shape of a fist? Mm, correct. I guess it was like a long, a cylindrical-type yeah. bruise. And then they did find that she had not been raped, so there's that. I don't know if I would look think to look into that on a hiking trip in the mountains like who well i guess if they thought it was if they were trying to figure out if it was a person that or versus an animal Mm -hmm. yeah slobodin's autopsy he was found lying face down in the snow with blood coming out of his nose the skin was ripped off of his right forearm he was found better dressed than the other survivors so he had, had a good amount of clothes on there was a hemorrhage in his temporalis muscle he had bruises on the knuckles he had a fracture of the frontal bone. It was extremely deep and seven inches long. So just right here on your forehead, just a huge fracture. Gosh. And the skull trauma he had could not be attributed to clumsiness or disorientation. Like he couldn't have fallen and made an injury that large. It had to be from something hitting him in the head. So despite, so we have those other people left. Okay, so right now we only have, they've only found five so people. five that are dead. <clears throat> five of the what? Nine. Nine. So despite intensive searching, rescuers didn't find the remaining four expedition members until May 4th, and they were located 82 yards or 75 meters further into the woods from the cedar tree. And they were- Three months later. Right. It's a long time. They were found in what is now known as the den, which is kind of like a ravine. And it was in the ravine that someone had cut down cedar trees. And what they had did was kind of make like a raft-looking situation to put on the snow so their bodies wouldn't be intact with the snow. My question is, how did they have the time to do that? Also, they never found um, an axe or any kind of cutting thing that would be a knife. So they don't know how they cut down the branches because the knife or the axe or whatever was never found. They also found the bodies not sitting on the makeshift shelter, but four meters away further down in the ravine. Some of the clothes they had taken from the bodies of other people were not on them, on their person, but on the little makeshift wooden thing we were talking about. Three of the four of them were um, very heavily clothed, so I would assume that they died last. I'm not sure. Um, but they had gotten the clothes from the other people that had died. Dubanina's foot was found wrapped in a piece of Krivenchenko's wool pants. And remember, he was the one by the cedar tree. Mm-hmm. And Zola Tarov was found wearing Dubanina's coat and hat. So I guess Zumanina Zumanina was wearing Krivenchenko's pants, and then she died, and then I guess Zola Tarov stole her coat and hat, I guess. All of their injuries were so severe that they could be compared to injuries after one is in a fatal car crash. So these are the worst of the worst injuries. So I hope you're ready. And yet, with it being the, I mean, I don't know. They, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't try and wrap your mind around I'm, it. I, you just, I am, it, and I'm just, I got lots of questions. So Z- Zubanina's autopsy, by far the worst injuries out of anyone. And she was found with her mouth open as if she was screaming. Again, in your free time, if you would like to go to Zyatlov Pass, you can look up. I'll show you later. Her clothes tested radioactive, which, A, that's strange. B. I don't even know what that means. Why did they test 
like she had been around, you know, um, something like Chernobyl or a nuclear accident would, um, did they test anybody else's clothes? Like, they did. Okay. <clears throat> and we'll get to that. But why you don't automatically yeah. just test for radioactive stuff. No, I guess unless you are in Russia. Mm-hmm. She had cut up her sweater to wrap around her feet. Her eyeballs were missing. You know, these eyeballs right here in my head. She didn't. They weren't in her. She didn't have them. Her left cheekbone was exposed. Her nose was broken. The soft tissue of her upper lip was missing. So you could see her teeth and her jaw. She had multiple rib fractures on both sides, a huge bruise on her right hip, a massive hemorrhage in the heart's right atrium. Her tongue was missing, which you would think would be an animal, but however, it looked like it had been ripped out from the base. So it wasn't like nibbled off from the <clears throat> Correct. They just ripped tip. the entire thing out. There was blood found in her stomach, which indicates that her tongue was ripped out while she was still alive. Ooh. Because mm-hmm. I, I guess, again, me trying to logic or reason, is there the potential that they were trying to, like, she died first and they were trying to eat to stay alive and they ate her tongue and eyeballs? Well, they didn't, they didn't say that they ever found a tongue in their other people's stomachs. Oh, so. Okay. Um, and she would have died, they think, about 10 to 20 minutes after whatever trauma occurred. So that's her. She has the worst injuries of the group. Then you have Zolotarov, whose eyeballs were also missing. Why are people's eyeballs missing? Um, I get animals. You uh, think? Maybe, yeah. I don't but, know. But wouldn't you also have like claw marks on your face if yeah. the animal digging out your eyeballs? I don't know. Not, Not sure. Not just like t- somebody took a spoon and just... Oh, nope. I never need to see that imagery again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Sorry. She, uh, or he had a wound to the skull with exposed bone. His ribs were completely tr- crushed. His chest was just completely crushed. But he had little soft tissue damage to the outside of his body. So very little bruising, anything like that. Which, how does that happen? You, If you get crushed or whatever, beaten in the chest, you're going to have bruises on the outside of your body. He barely had anything. Was that crushed after he died and that's why there wasn't bruising? I, no. He died because of the crushed, the crushed, everything that happened. Then massive internal damage. Now this, okay, this is going to give you some more chill bumps. He was found with a camera. Which Yuri Yudin, the you know the guy we keep saying he got sick and left the group, he did not recognize that camera, so it was a secret camera that he had on his person, and the, the investigators said the film had been damaged by water, so they don't know what's on that camera, but he was also apparently found holding a pen and a notepad, but not, had not written on it. Because had they been able to develop that film and had he written something, there could have been answers. Could have been. And they might have developed the film, but they said it was damaged. Said it was damaged. Damaged. Yep. Air quotes. Kolbtov's autopsy. He was found with his jacket ripped and unzipped. His clothes had fire damage. And this could possibly be because he stole them off the people next to the cedar tree who had fire damaged like, on their body. So maybe they've damaged their jacket and whatever. His clothes also tested positive for radiation. His skull bone was exposed. He had a missing eyebrow, which somebody just came along and like gave him a little wax strip and ripped it off. His neck was completely deformed, and he had an open wound behind his ear. Could any of this fire damage been have could have been like could it have been from them trying to build a fire to stay warm? Could have been. Who knows? I guess they fell asleep. What could have fallen asleep and got burned? 
see how do you say we say that name tibio tibio briganoli um his autopsy show multiple fractures to the temporal bone with extension into the frontal and sphenoid bones so basically just slammed in the head head. Mm -hmm. and he also was found to have a hemorrhage on the right forearm so a bleed in his right arm so those are all the bodies that that's what we've gotten so far which and i guess the only way i could understand some of that is if they like that makes it sound like they like tumbled Mm -hmm. down a mountain Mm -hmm. and then got eaten intact by animals not they were found a mile away from camp Mm -hmm. right the bodies of Kolvatov and Zolotarov were embraced back to back as if Kolvatov had been trying to protect or trying to warm up Zolotarov. Breast to back. Yeah, breast like, to back. Like, like mm-hmm. he was hugging her. <gasps> I know. So, so. <laughs> oh, so that that is what we found. And now we're going to get into just some of the theories. Because there are a lot. There are a lot. That, there are plenty of different rabbit holes you can go down. Mm-hmm, and you can... We're not going to cover them all here because there's too many, um, but but we'll go over some of them here. So one of the biggest ones and the reason that I'm just a little bit paranoid about filming this is that some of the members of the group were the part of the KBG or the secret police for the Soviet Union. And they believe that these three people would have been Zolotarov, Kolovatov, and Krivonchenko. And... They would have been these agents on a mission to find American CIA agents, and they were to deliver these radioactive samples to the CIA agents and take photographs as kind of spying on the Americans. But something went wrong, and the CIA agents killed the entire group. I don't know what this. The one thing about this theory that's confusing to me is why were these CIA agents up in the the mountains? But unless they thought, oh, they're CIA agents spying on us let's go send spies on them Mm -hmm. and then we'll pawn them off as just like mountain hikers ski hikers alexander kolovatov actually worked as a lab assistant in a top secret scientific facility known as a secret atomic institute so this is where they think the um, radioactive clothes could have come into play Uh, yuri krivonchenko also worked at a plant where the ma- there was also a massive nuclear disaster, second in the severity only to Chernobyl, and it occurred in 1957. So both of them worked in a plant where they could have gotten the... The radioactive correct. materials. Correct, but these are all intelligent people. They would have known to have thrown those clothes away yeah, and they, not wear them years later on the skiing trip. Yeah. So that uh, it doesn't really explain the radiation found on the clothes. And again, like I said, why did they test radiation in the first place? You know, if yeah, you find a body not, dead on the side of the road, you're not like, Let's. if you're like, hmm, dead, hypothermia, let's mm-hmm. test for radiation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a classic no. thing they do in autopsies. So that's that theory. Next, we got a popular one, and it is that the deaths were caused by UFOs or aliens, which you, any theory. That's classic. Yeah. That's any a, conspiracy theory is going to have some aliens. Uh, yeah, I do think every conspiracy com- theory comes with or aliens. Mm-hmm. Could be. Multiple people in the area were reported seeing floating, glowing orbs in the sky. We, we've heard heard that story before. But they did report seeing that the night all of this happened. Another evidence that they thought could have led to this was the trees that the people were found on, the cedar trees, had um, burn marks and substantial damage to the top of the trees that looked like, I guess, a UFO could have 
come down and, and burn the treetops. The, so the top of the tree was burned, not the bottom mm-hmm. or damaged. Yeah, but also I, I thought um, UFOs probably didn't need gas and yeah. fire. Who says yeah. a UFO has fire coming out of it? Like, it jet, runs on pure magic. <laughs> pure galaxy magic. Some of the group members, like I said, their pieces of their skin, lips, and eyes were looked like they had been surgically removed, some people thought, and that thought that this pointed to an intelligent action by aliens that surgically removed some of their or humans I, yeah i mean yeah humans could also do I, that. Yeah. yeah when i see something that that suggests intelligence i don't jump to aliens mm-hmm. probably jump to humans could be could be alien hannah you never know aliens right? there was also big affinity for eyeballs right Eyeball and tongues and base tongues. of the tongue only yeah uh, there was also this picture they found that um, was developed from one of the cameras, and I looked at it, and it's, like, black, and you can... It basically just looked like the camera malfunction, but there's light. There's, like, a flash of light over in the corner of the picture, and some people said that that was a UFO. But... It literally could have... You always have <laughs> weird light things going on in cameras, and especially mm-hmm. if it's an older camera or you're outside. I mean... Yeah. It didn't. Every time didn't ever, anyone's me. ever taken a picture of me with a flash, my eyeballs glow. Like, mm-hmm. does that mean I'm an alien? Probably. 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 Mm-hmm. I love your next theory. Mm-hmm. Similar. <laughs> it's not my theory, <laughs> but it's one that also I feel like always goes along with aliens and UFOs and stuff. And that is the a Yeti or the, the Yeti. Yeti. Yeah. Is is Yeti just one thing? There's just one that exists and roams the whole mm-hmm. the whole globe. Are or there multiple it, Yetis? Is it a group of? These animal, animal-like human mountain things. Mm-hmm. I like to call them the abominable. Is that how you say that? Abominable snowman. Abominable. Oh dang it! <laughs> I just my mom always likes to say that I butcher the English language. So yeah, sorry. Well, in my mind, it's abominable. It's not. No. No. I added too many. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Okay. So we'll go with Yeti. The group took a lot of pictures. You you can look these up online. It, except for that one camera that mm-hmm. was damaged. damaged. And the pictures kind of followed the hikers along their trip. And in the beginning, they look happy, having a blast. It beats me while they're having a blast because it looks like a horrible time to me. But Tibos, Tibio. Tibio's last fairly alarming shot on his camera, which you can see down below that picture. Yeah, that. It shows a snowy background with some trees. And in the background, there is a blurry, dark, human-like figure. Okay, which it do, it looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but that also could be somebody just bundled up in like a bunch of different jackets and pants. Mm-hmm. Could be, but it, it it goes, you know, it's good for the story. Yeah. And the the local Mansai tribe around that area had a folklore about a yeti like creature called the mink or mank, and he was known to roam the area where all of this happened. And and then this frame you're looking at with that picture, it's known as frame 17. It's become famous in the case. And like I, you said, I, I, some of the people believe that this was just one of the, the figure was one of the group members returning to camp. Yeah. Because it does look, there's a path in front of him. Mm-hmm. Like you can see where somebody else has like walked or dragged something. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a little cutout path in the snow is what it looks like. Yeah. I didn't even notice that before, but we'll post the picture on Instagram and let you decide for yourself. Is now, it a, is it a Yeti or is it a, somebody from the KJB oh, coming to get them? Mm-hmm, could be. This, this next fact right here is the one that really gets me out of the whole case and I hate it. So this next theory, n- no, this next oh, fact okay. about the Yeti. 
Um, The group had, which is, this is precious and adorable. The group had their own little newspaper that they started on the trip. And it was called the Evening or Torten, which is, remember, the name of the mountain, Mm -hmm. the dead mountain. And on one of the last entries, the title of that entry was, From now on, we know that snowmen exist. That makes me just want to go. I don't like that. Get in the, go in that closet right there and cry. From now on, we know that snowmen exist. <laughs> but like, <clears throat> but like snowmen don't exist. The, the Yeti. The Yeti is that, and Is that what they were calling yeah. the Yeti? Uh, right. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't like that at all. I thought you were talking about your next theory because your next theory is freaky. But not as freaky as that, Hannah. No, snowmen. you think the Yeti is the freakiest? Uh, yeah. Next theory, escape prisoners. The hikers were, some people say the hikers could have been killed by gulag prisoners. So gulag um, was the government agency in charge of the Soviet concentration camp. So there were these concentration camp prison type things. People were known to break out. Now, within recent history around this time, there were no known recent escapes. But I guess people could have escaped and been living up in those mountains and stumbled across the group and killed them and and there was a a gulag 60 but it was 60 miles away and I, I, this theory is just kind of like it eh, could be uh, but i still think like I, I don't know i feel like that theory is like man that that feels closer mm-hmm. than ufos or yeti snowmen yeah. or or people think that the gulag themselves shot the hikers because they had this whole they shoot first ask later mentality yeah and then once they realized what they had done they they covered it up but and my like, whole thing is they weren't found with any, to my knowledge, bullet holes uh, or that's bullets. What I, so, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, so that's dumb. Next theory was that the local tribes, the Mansi or Mansi people, had killed, attacked the group and killed them. The only thing is only the hikers' footprints were visible in the snow. However, they were expert, skilled hunters, the Mansi people were, and could have learned to cover up their tracks and things. But the bodies of the people, besides the bruised knuckles, didn't show signs of a struggle. Also, none of the hikers' property was stolen from them, and they had alcohol and things that the tribe, the indigenous people, would have found valuable that they didn't steal. And also, the Mansai people helped in the search and rescue yeah, of I thought, the. I thought at the beginning of this whole thing, they were like very friendly and mm-hmm. like warning them about weird stuff that happened on the mountain. Mm-hmm. So, so I think they're just like a scapegoat. Like I, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. I feel like they're like, yeah, let's blame it on the indigenous mm-hmm. people. One of the most popular theories, which makes most sense to me, is that they, the hikers stumbled a, across a secret military testing site, which Ooh. would explain the, the um, fire, radiation. The radiation. Mm-hmm. So they could have been testing rockets, weapons, uh, chemical weapons, developmental weapons, all of those things. Some of those weapons could have exploded and explained some of the I- injuries. They could have poisoned the hikers or scared them off, scared them, causing them to sleep on the slope of the mountain and kind of deter their original plan. They found clothing on the hikers that Yuri Yudin did not recognize, and this clothing was military-issued, some said, which is creepy. I guess yeah. they could have come across some of the military testing this and, I don't know. Decided that it mm-hmm. was a good idea to steal it and wear it. Yuri was also found, he also found a pair of skis and glasses that did not belong to the group, and rumors were, had been floating around that there was a secret military base nearby, Again, the lights that the people observed in the sky that thought that could have been they thought could have been UFOs could have been. also could have been rockets and things being tested. So 
I guess they stumbled upon, the idea is they stumbled upon the secret military testing site and they would have been witnesses, so the government killed them. I, I, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that one. Mm-hmm. That one, to me, that one makes the most sense. And we have a couple left, so. The one that most people think right off the bat and until you hear some more of the details is the avalanche theory, that there was yeah, a huge this, avalanche. This is what I thought, because I was like, okay. This makes no sense. Um, only because it starts off when you're like, oh, they were on a slope, uh-huh. frostbite, hypothermia. Mm-hmm. They took a tumble. Right. They were all, the, the they all died at different it. times. Yeah. So one mass event coming by and doing that. Yeah. Um, also, the their injuries and the the pattern of their injury and whatever the didn't eyeballs. Mm-hmm, it didn't indicate one one single event like that. Also, they found the skis and stuff sticking out of the yeah, ground, not knocked over. They've been buried in snow. Right, if that was the case. Obviously, in Russia, avalanches can be a thing or whatever. But since the incident, over 100 expeditions in that same area have taken place, which why? Why would you ever go back there? But um, there are zero reports of an avalanche. Yeah. Also, debunked. Alexander Zolotarov was studying for his master's certificate in ski instruction and hiking and all of that. So why would he have gone somewhere where he thought an avalanche They would be able to, yeah, kind of know the best areas. dumb hikers. They're Mm -hmm. they're not novice i mean they, they're they know what they're doing mm-hmm. so basically anybody that knows anything about this case that there was not an avalanche that killed them so we're we're yeah, i'm gonna say that i don't like that one it doesn't make sense next is the gravitation fluctuation theory and it's one of the um, most bizarre theories I was gonna say, it sounds real sciencey <laughs> it is grounded in scientific thought the theory essentially argues that there is a sudden drop in gravity also known as a corridor that the hikers were unfortunately camped in this is a little unknown and unproven phenomenon but it does at least in this theory explain the eventual location of the campers bodies so for example it is argued that those who first rushed outside the camp whenever they heard whatever they heard and ripped the tent apart were essentially placed into a non-gravitational situation where they died instantly as if they were in a vacuum. Which could also kind of explain some of those chests. Mm-hmm. And then the others were dragged from the tent by this this vacuum, I guess you could call it, which could explain the tears from the inside. They were literally ripped from the inside of the tent due to the sudden and dramatic drop in gravity. So... I'm picturing like the the closest thing I can relate to this is like in the when you're in the water in the ocean and mm-hmm. like the riptide just like sucks you under right. the water and pulls you you end up ten miles down the mm-hmm. coast where you started off. I guess I mean if this kind of thing is real, but, like, but still that doesn't. But the go bruises for me. on the knuckles, the the head injuries mm-hmm. that only explains some of the like cavity like chest crushed. Right. That one doesn't do it for me. Um, We have two more theories. The next one is the, what's called the infrasound. So infrasound is the opposite of ultrasound. And it is known to be a type of vibration in the air, which has a frequency so low, it cannot be picked up by the human ear. So you don't realize that you're hearing it, but it does things to you. So a succession of studies has shown that it has been marked that has marked effects on the human body, which include loss of sleep, shortness of breath, and extreme dread. So basically, just they went crazy, paranoid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, the government at the time was kind of testing these theories and use, trying to see if they could use something like, could, like harness infrasound uh-huh, as a weapon. So I guess the theory is the wind in that area 
could have made the infrasound or the government and it drove the hikers crazy and what ensued still doesn't make sense to me with all the injuries yeah i think it's just for me it's the fact that there's different types of injuries that Mm -hmm. the injuries aren't consistent to where it's like okay some of them have to do with animals some of them have to do with hypothermia some of them have to do with car crashes some of them have to do with gravity like which i guess makes sense why there's so many different theories too Mm -hmm. so we end that one me Mm -hmm. could could be i'd like to experience infrasound for just like a second you know what i mean no oh (laughs) in like a controlled environment no i don't think so not if it makes me go crazy well yeah but just for a second no i'm picturing like the the high-pitched dog whistle that Mm -hmm. like you can't hear but you can hear it's like the dog whistle for you kind of go crazy and it it, like makes you just cringe and Mm -hmm. um the last theory it's not really a theory paradoxical undressing so there is this theory that happens in 20% of hypothermia cases where people, when they're freezing to death, will take off all of their clothes. And I tried to look up the science behind it. I know. I thought there was like, there was an explanation for why people do that, where it's like, if you're ever like camping and you're really cold, you're supposed to take off all your clothes. You're not supposed to ever. I, why do I think that? I don't know. I would be a horrible You're not a hiker. camper. I'm no. really not. <laughs> and it gets cold and she's to, like, here I go, start to strip. I thought that was supposed to help, but you're supposed to like, body heat no you don't you're not supposed to no ma'am don't take me it's a it's a phenomenon so paradox it's an effect makes sense right it's an effect of a cold induced paralysis of the nerves in the vessel walls which leads to vasodilation giving a feeling of warmth another theory proposes that the reflex vasoconstriction which happens in the first stage of hypothermia leads to paralysis of the vasomotor center giving rise to the sensation that the body temperature is really hot and then it is and then people start to get undressed because they feel hot again this doesn't explain the injuries other than they took off all their clothes and died explains why some of them they have clothes on Mm -hmm. um just just a little i I think of those theories i lean towards the they stumbled upon a secret testing site Mm -hmm. that's the one yeah it still doesn't explain everything but it's it has the most potential to explain Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. Just a little side fun fact. This isn't a theory. Ludmilla Dubonina, they think she had a premonition of her death because in her personal diary, remember they all kept diaries? Mm -hmm. On January 27th, there was the first sign of some unconscious doom expressed by her. And she described one of the events as, she would use the phrase, the last time. So how, how would she know it was the last time to do so here i'll read you an excerpt on january 27th now most of the guys sit here and sing songs to the guitar on the occasion that they do not work today it seems this is the last time we heard so many good new songs but we hope that rustic will live up to the challenge so the last time why would she use the phrasing this is the last time we heard i don't know (laughs) Unless, unless like she's talking about the trip like if i'm on a trip and it's the last dinner that we're having on the trip. I might, I might like journal and write something about like, oh, this was our last dinner. But I guess I would have said like, this is our last dinner of the trip before we go back home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's creepy. Also, if I'm going hiking on a mountain that's negative forty degrees Fahrenheit, I might think it's the end of the world for right, me. Right, right. I would know. So very possible. Yeah. yeah. But all of her d- journal entries, there's a theme of her getting more and more depressed the longer it goes on. And then after she wrote the last time. The next day, January 28th, is when she completely stopped writing. It's creepy. The aftermath 
Following the incidents, the pass was named the Dyatlov Pass in honor of the group. And because and Dyatlov was the leader of the group? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a monument now that, that recognizes them. In 1990, a shout-out birth year, Russian, this Russian guy, I can't pronounce his name, he published a book about the incident, and it's called The Price of State Secrets is Nine Lives. Okay, so he thinks mm-hmm, that there were the some government. government secrets. And then in 2013, a Russian-British horror film directed by Rennie Harlan and entitled The Dyatlov Pass Incident was released, and its name was eventually changed to Devil's Pass. I want to watch that. Yeah, now that you know. I want to watch it. Oh, yeah. I think it'd be interesting. I wonder oh, I wonder what... I'm, uh, I'm just creeped out. I wonder what theory the film leans towards. Because you know it's mm-hmm. going to... You know it's, it's going to pick one of them. Pick one of them. So, Yeti. It goes with the Yeti theory. Yeah. That's, uh, new um, theory. I'm going to pose a new theory. Okay. You know that one random guy that was like 38 years old mm-hmm. and like kind of didn't fit the, the rest of the group? They think that he was a spy. But, well, that's what... And then killed mm-hmm. himself? What or if, that, what if he, that, that contributes to the whole that he was on a secret spy agent agent leave uh, going to deliver these radi- radioactive things to the CIA that were somehow in the mountains. I don't know. Yeah. I, he's he's the most suspect one of the group to me. <laughs> suspect. Suspect. <laughs> yeah. I, just the entire thing makes no sense. Which, and go, I mean, go look at it on your own, mm-hmm. com. Mm-hmm. You can see all the photos, all the autopsies. You can read all the theories. There's more theories. There's wolverines. Talk of wolverines, wolverines. in the area. Yeah, the little animals. Um, so I think it's trolls. It is trolls. It's the trolls. It's the trolls mm-hmm. from Frozen, from except the folklore. Mm-hmm. Except now they're mean. It's the Snow Queen. She it's did the Snow it. Queen. And, that's, and we just solved the mystery. You're welcome. There you go. Well, guys, that thanks for sticking around for our first episode of the year. First episode of 2021. Hope it was a good premonition of how the rest of the... I hope not. Well, I mean... Uh, how the rest of the year goes? No, no, no. Like, how much they enjoyed the episode. Like, oh, it was I, a good episode. means we're going to have a good year. I, you know, story about people dying, multiple people dying from government conspiracies. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say, hope this is how the rest of 2021 goes. Oh, no. No, thank you. You've already been there, done, done that. that. Been there, done that. Yeah. We, we will not be adding this to the list of places we want to go. Uh, no. So until next week. Until next week. We'll see you then. You can check us out on Instagram, Scary Tales Podcast. Go, uh, you can go see photos from this episode. Uh, if you want to leave us any snack break recommendations, or we, if you want to send us food, we'll review mm-hmm, it for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, until next time, y'all be safe out there. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. <laughs>